chapter 5. I'm so happy for her. Luke 5, uh, today we have a really neat study um, in which Jesus uh, calls Matthew. He reaches sinners. And then he teaches us uh, to fast and he teaches us how to renew our hearts for the work that he's doing. Look what we read here in Luke 5, beginning in verse 27. It says, After these things, speaking of Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And so he left all, rose up, and followed him. If you want to study this and you want to get the full picture, um, you go over to Matthew 9, 9 through 13, or Mark 2, 14 through 17, and you find the call of Matthew. He's also known as Levi here, but the other scriptures as well, we put them all together. Uh, We see his name was Matthew. And here we see Jesus calling him not just to salvation, but he's calling him to service. Jesus is calling Matthew into the ministry. Now, when you call, when you think of the ministry, you guys, I want you to know this, that we're all called to the ministry. Um, like I said earlier, for some of us here, it's, it's within the church structure, man. For some of you, it's a missionary or a pastor or whatever it might be, different places, being an overseer there or wherever you serve, whatever gifts you've been given, you give them back to the Lord, you know. There's that ministry. That's the reason that we were made. That's the reason why God saved us and that's why we're still here is because we want to serve him. We want to be involved in the ministry. We want people to get saved. We want God to be glorified. And, you know, that's what God is doing right here. He's calling Matthew, you know, not just to salvation, but to service. He's calling Matthew into the ministry. And, you know, we've seen that, you know, as we've gone through the Bible. But the thing that we see that is so radical at this point is who Matthew is. It says right here, again, notice in verse 27, that Matthew was what? A tax collector. Now, how many of you here like tax collectors? Just out of curiosity, man. You're like, we don't even like the tax we pay here in Almani. I think it's 10% now. It's crazy, you know. In these days, though, multiply it a million times over. Um, This was the most hated man in the country, the most hated people in the nation of Israel. And that's the way that the Lord works. It's kind of interesting. Last week we saw him touch a hideous sinner, a leper. Now we see him touching a hated sinner that is a tax collector. You know, and for us, when it comes to the ministry, it's important to realize this. Of all the people in Palestine, the tax collectors were hated the most. They were classified with murderers. They were classified with robbers. A tax collector was barred from the synagogue. They wouldn't even be allowed to touch the clothes of the religious leader, the Pharisees. That's how disgusting, that's how hated they were by the Jews. And so what Jesus does is he sees Matthew, and we'll study that word in just a second, and he says, hey, you, I want you to write a book in the Bible. And it's just crazy. You know, we wouldn't call Matthews nowadays, you know, we look for the clean-cut guy that's got everything all together, you know, But God is saying, listen, I want you to know this. And, you know, God can use anybody. God can use the one that has tattoos from head to toe. God can use the one with no tattoos. God could use the worst sinner. And he did. 
You know, he chose Peter, he chose Paul. That's how he chooses all. I mean, Saul was not just a murderer. He was a persecutor of the church. And God said, let me tell you something. I can use anybody. And so he chose him and he used him. And it was the Lord. There's no doubt about it. You know, and in looking at that, it's so cool for us to know because some people don't like that. They're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. Why does God use you? Why does God use him? I don't like that. He's not good enough. She's not good enough. And God says, wait a minute. I choose whom I use. Am I, I anoint, I appoint, God said. And I can use anybody. And it's an illustration of my wonderful and amazing grace. You know, and it's so cool. For us, it's a lesson, you know, for all of us here. Maybe you, even you, you're here. You're thinking, you know what? God can't use me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. And God said, yes, I can. I can use your life. I can. There's some of you here. I want you to be, you know, a pastor one day. And there's some of you here. I want you to be the president one day. Please be the president, man. We need godly president. Maybe it'll be you. I don't know. But God can use your life. Even if you think you're the the chief of all sinners like Paul did. And so he says, uh, Matthew, come. Now, the interesting thing, look in verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now, the Greek word for the word saw is the word theamai. It's where we get our English word theater. And it's not just kind of like a casual glance. I mean, Jesus, when he looked at Levi, he saw something deeper It means to behold. It means to look upon. It means to view attentively, to contemplate, to learn by looking, to see with perceptive eyes. As a matter of fact, one translation says he attentively contemplated him. He didn't just look at him and just kind of go on. No, he was looking and looking and looking and discovering. And there was something in Matthew that was empty. There was something in Matthew that was missing. That even though this man had so much money, because the tax collectors of those days, they had a lot of money. I mean, they were responsible to give the Roman government a certain certain amount, but anything more they wanted, they could get. And they tax you like crazy. You know, you have uh, four wills, six wills, eight wills, they would tax you for that. You know, and they would get creative in the way they would tax. These guys were rich, and God said, I see inside, even though he has everything materially, he's empty. And God can see that within him. Jesus saw not only the pit that we was in, I think in one sense Jesus saw the potential. You know, when God looks at you and you may look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I don't see any potential. There's no way God can use me. And God says, yes, I can. As a matter of fact, you know what I see? I see a rock in you. Like Peter, you're a rock. Peter's all, no way, I'm a crazy sinner. God says, no, I see deeper. I see the way that you will cooperate with me. I see the way you will seek me. I see the way that you will, you know, aggressively, you know, follow after me with passion and zeal of what you're going to become in me. And it's a beautiful thing. And so God says, I see. And so what does he do? He tells him, there he is sitting at the tax office, and he says to him, what? Follow me. He just says, follow me. It's very simple. A lot of times I think we complicate things. You know, again, this is more than a call to believe. It's a call to the ministry. 
But the beautiful thing is there's not much of a difference whether you're on staff or not, whether you're an overseer or an under rower, whether you're a layman or a leader. The heart of the responsibility is always the same. It's just follow Jesus Christ. Right? That's what it is, you guys, for us as Christians. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24? Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what it's all about. You know, later when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, hey, Peter, I want you to follow me. John chapter 21. And Peter said, cool. Well, what about him? And the Lord said, don't worry about him. You follow me. You see, and that's what life is like for us as a Christian. So Peter left his fish and Matthew leaves his finances. What do you need to leave in order to follow Christ? You see, in looking at this right here, we see an awesome thing. The call of Levi is so amazing. And I just really want to encourage you guys. And I know I probably say this like every week, and I don't know if I should or not. But man, I just can't get away from that message of ministry. I just can't get away from your responsibility in the body of Christ for what it is that God has called you to do. All of us here, we all have a part. And that's what you were made for. Just make sure you don't get sidetracked. Because the devil will come and he'll go fishing and he'll do everything he can to get you off course. And that's why we have to make radical decisions to stay on course. And we see he calls Matthew. And it's a beautiful thing, the calling. And and Matthew, in verse 28, he left all, he rose up, and he followed him. It's amazing. And then we read in verse 29, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so first we see Jesus calling. This is the nature of his call. He can use any life. Uh, we just got to follow him. And then we see Jesus reaching. He's reaching, we're going to see here, for the sinners. You know, Levi threw a great banquet. It was a reception for Jesus in his own home. And undoubtedly, he was just joyful for the transformation that was taking place in his life. And, you know, he probably was used to throwing parties. And he says, man, I'm not going to do it for Jesus now. You know, probably he wanted his friends to meet Christ as well. And so as he's there, and if you think about that for a second, just for a second, okay, think that one through. What if this pastor or this leader you know, was, you know, someone requested, hey, I want to throw this sinner, crazy sinner. I want to throw a big celebration on your behalf. How many pastors and, and leaders would say, sure, I'll do that? Most wouldn't, huh? They wouldn't like the connection. They wouldn't like the stigma. They wouldn't like the way that appears to everybody, huh? That's the bottom line. But Jesus didn't care what people thought. He was on the agenda of the Almighty. He wanted to please his father. And he said, yeah, even though Matthew and all these tax collectors, they're crazy, crazy sinners. And here they want to throw my marquee, you know, my name on the marquee. I'm going to show up and I'm going to hang out with them, right? Because Jesus wanted to do something, right? And it was just so outside the box. And so what ends up happening is in verse 30, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, 
they complained against his disciples, saying, hey, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Greek word complained, it means to murmur, to mutter. It means to grumble. It means to say anything against someone in a low tone. It's used of those who confer secretly together and they discontentedly complain. And there's a lot of religious people like that. Huh? There's a lot of Christians like that. You don't like what they're doing and it doesn't meet your approval. Huh? And you're doing what these guys were doing, these scribes and Pharisees were doing. That's you. And we have to be so careful. It's kind of a drag. Some people are just, they're just by nature complainers. So any of you like that? Instead of curiosity, man. Man, you can see negative in everything, huh? And that's like all you ever do is complain, you know? And then there are those who are, I guess, optimists. You have the pessimists and the optimists, right? And they see no bad in anything. And God calls us to be a realist, though, you know? But, man, you have some people, that's all they ever do. They, they just see the negative, And they just talk behind backs. They murmur. They mutter. They, they grumble. They complain. And they're so, so wrong. They're so wrong. And they're in the church. And they don't know the heart of God. That's what these guys were. Oh, why are you eating with them? You know, eating with someone back then... It wasn't just eating with someone. You guys know that, huh? It was like being one with someone, and you double-dipped together. I mean, you really ate together. You became one together. You guys know how it was back then. That's what Jesus was doing with them, whether you like it or not. And so the Lord responds, and he says, Man, what's up with you guys? In verse 31, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, here was Jesus, and he's with these sinners. The Greek word means preeminently wicked, devoted to sin. I mean, here he is, and he's eating and drinking with them, right? And the Lord says, listen, I've come for them. I've come for them. And it's important for us to remember that because a lot of times what ends up happening is we live in a Christian bubble, you guys. You know, and, and we don't ever reach out to the, the, the sinners, you know. We're like, oh, they might contaminate me. You know, and I'm not saying be weird, you know, because I know some of you here, you can't go and hang out with the wrong people because it will bring you down and you won't bring them up, you know. And some of you here, you need to strengthen yourself and you always need to ask God for wisdom in all of these things, man. But whatever you do, don't become a monk. Don't go and live in a Christian bubble where you no longer, you know, you don't know anybody. You, You haven't been with anybody that's been lost like a lizard in a long time, man. And here's Jesus. He's just saying, what's up with that? That's not the way this works. I'm a physician, and I've come to give people, you know, health. You know, the other day, my son was studying health. And on the cover of his, of his textbook, it says health, right? He's like, hey, Dad, you see a word in there in the word health? And I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I see the word he and and I see the word A, and it just goes to show you how slow I am, you know. And he says, Dad, the word heal is in the word health. And I said, yeah, you're, you know what, you're right. And the Lord says, I want to make you a healthy Christian. I want to make you a healthy human being. But you've got to let 
me heal you. You got to go to the doctors and you got to take your friends to the doctors because they're dying. And you're dying. And you need the power of God in your life. You need the healing. You need to come to Christ. Not just come to church. Come to Christ. Right? I mean, a lot of times guys get messed up because they don't go to the doctors. Sometimes ladies do that too. But guys are like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Having a heart attack. You know, I'll be okay. Right? No, go to the doctors, man. You know, you got a cavity. Why are you so afraid of the dentist? Why? You know what happens if you don't take care of that cavity? It turns into a root canal, right? You got to deal with it now before it gets worse because it will get worse unless you come to the doctor. You come to the physician. Oh, but I'm okay. I'm, I, I got it all together. I've got no issues in my life, man. Really? I don't think I've ever really met anybody like that. We all got issues. Jesus is saying right here, in essence, he's saying, man, the thing is, is that I need to associate with the sick because they have the need and they will respond to the offer of help. A person who is well or thinks they're well will not seek the treatment. And so that's what Jesus is he's going and looking. He says, who acknowledges the fact that they really truly need me in their life you see we got to know who christ is you guys he's the physician he's the friend of sinners we got to make sure we don't get weird in this whole thing you know i mean even here in luke a few times it talks about jesus hanging out with the the sinners look in luke chapter 7 in verse uh, 29 it says and when all the people heard him even the tax collectors they justified god you know and Verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a, a glutton and wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I don't know about you, even though I'm saved now, I'm still a sinner. Right? You're still a sinner. And Christ is still your friend. And that's the only way I could stand up here. That's the only way I could keep going is to know that he's a friend of sinners. The Bible clearly portrays him as this. If you go over to Luke chapter 15, we see it again in verse 1. Then there they are again, man. The tax collectors and the sinners, they drew near to him to hear him. And there's the Pharisees and scribes complaining, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. If you go over to Luke chapter 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that little guy? He was a tax collector. It says in verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Just be careful, you guys. You know, you're here to be a light in the darkness. Some of you here, you're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. The Lord has done such a tremendous work in your life. And the world needs to see it. The world needs to hear it. What God has done in your life. Be so careful that you don't trap yourself in a Christian bubble. You know, there's a really crazy verse over in Isaiah 65, if you want to turn there. 
Look what it says in Isaiah 65. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. What he's speaking about right here is the salvation of the Gentiles and not the Jews. The Jews were the religious people, but they ended up not even knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. The Gentiles did, generally speaking. He says in verse 2, I stretch out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. This is bad, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs. All that's definitely not good, right? Who eat swine's flesh, you know, carnitas, pig. They weren't supposed to do that, right? The broth of abominable things in their vessels. All that's bad. But look what he says in verse 5. To me, this is the worst. Who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am holier than you. You see, that's where they ended up in their religiosity. They said, I can't, oh, stay away. I can't touch you. I can't come near you. I can't be your friend because I'm holier than you. And the Lord said right there in verse 5, there's smoke in my nostrils. It's a fire that burns all the day. I mean, even a barbecue, you know, it's not too bad because you're at least you're cooking meat. But when the smoke gets in your eyes and in your nose, it's very, very, very irritating. And God says, I hate it. I hate it when my people do that. One version says it just it just it's nauseating to my nostrils. And that's why we have to come back and we have to have the heart of the Lord, you guys. We gotta have the heart of the Lord. And we have to reach out. Back in Luke five, we see Jesus calling and we see Jesus reaching. But the interesting thing, if you'll notice there, Notice the way he reaches, because we find the beautiful balance. He says in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, right, but sinners, right, to what? Repentance. See, and that's the balance, and that's the key. You don't just go with your friends and high-five and have a good time, and you know that happens one day and then another day and then another week and then another month and another year, and you never bring them to the cross. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to be a witness. Cool. You know, there's a time for that to be a witness, man. But eventually, you've got to say something. You've got to say something. You've got to tell them you're a Christian. And you've got to tell them who Jesus is. And you've got to warn them about if they continue down this road that they're, they're, they're on, if they don't turn from that road, that they will perish. And the Lord, he just gives us that beautiful balance. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to reach out to sinners and I'm going to eat with them and I'm going to grub with them and we're going to go have pizza together and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to, you know, I'm going to just be there as my father leads me. But eventually the time comes where he says, but well, we've got to deal with the real things. And then you tell your friend, hey, you know what? This is what Christ has done in my life and, and, I, and I love you and I've got to tell you, man, that, that this is what he can do in your life. Because I really want to be a real friend to you. And we have to have that understanding. He calls us to repentance. We see that over and over again in the Bible. Acts 17.30, truly these times 
of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And for us here today, you know, it's just so much, so much application. If you're a sinner here today, you know, maybe you've been struggling especially, you know, you got to know that the Lord is your friend, that he loves you, that he'll reach for you. And yet at the same time, you got to know that he wants you to turn from your sin. You know, you can't continue in those things that the world is telling you to do. You don't have to wait until you get married. Or you can go ahead and just have a little wine or get drunk or get high or whatever it is. You know, the different areas of compromise. You treat your wife that way. You treat your husband that way. You treat your kids that way. And God says there's sins of omission and there's sins of commission and there's things that he wants to change. It's so important, you know. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, how bad you think it is. God will forgive you. God will forgive you. God will wipe away your sins. And he'll never bring them up again. Never. But you've got to repent. That's who Jesus is. He calls a tax collector. He reaches for the sinners. And this is what we have to do. In verse 33, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours, they grub, they eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? I mean, it's very simple, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the physician. He's the bridegroom. And he's saying right now it's celebration time, you know? They say, why is it John's disciples were actually the one that came and they were actually in the middle of a fast so they couldn't eat. And they're like, hey, I don't like this. How come we fast and you don't? And, you know, the Lord says it's like this. Imagine going to a wedding and imagine, man, there you are. And, you know, there's there's no food. That'd be weird, huh? You're like, hey, I got ripped off, man. I I came. I got you a nice gift. (laughs) I saw the wedding, sure, it's nice to be a witness, but hey, man, I'm here for the food, right? And imagine how silly it would be if the, you know, I don't know, the the best man, the maid of honor got up and said, I'm sorry, we're fasting at this wedding, you know? It would just be weird. And the Lord said, that's why they're not fasting right now. Now, we know Jesus fasted. As a matter of fact, he started off fasting for 40 days. And he didn't advertise it. You know, there are probably other times that he fasted. But as far as his disciples, he said, right now is not the time. But then the time would come, he says in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and then they will what? They will fast in those days. And so we learn about Jesus. He's calling the tax collector. We learn about Christ who's reaching the sinner. And now we learn about Christians who should be doing what? We should be fasting, you guys. We should be fasting. He says the days will come and they will fast. 
Matthew chapter 6, same thing. He didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. You don't tell everybody. Don't mess up your hair. Don't look all dirty and, you know, rest. Man, just you fast, right? And that's what God wants us to do. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, 1 and 2, they fasted and prayed. Acts chapter 14, 23, they fasted and prayed. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I fasted all the time. And we need to fast, you guys, as Christians. When I fast, I want to draw near to the Lord. When I fast, I want power in my life. I want power over sin. I want power to help that person over there who's demon-possessed. They're demon-possessed right here on the streets. They're demon-oppressed. And unless we're walking in the power of God, we can't help them. I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. I want to help them. Jesus said this time, it doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. He said it clear. And that's why we have to fast. You're like, man, I can't have McDonald's? No, man. You'll live, okay? You'll live. And then you miss a day and then... Or, or a meal and you go and what you do instead of having lunch is you go and you just get your Bible and you pray and you read and you seek the Lord. It's for good reasons. It's good motives. That's my prayer. And then what ends up happening is then it becomes two meals. And then becomes like a whole day of fasting. And then that one day it turns into two days. And then what ends up happening is as you continue to deny your flesh and you continue to deny those physical appetites what ends up happening is your spiritual sensitivity, it rises. And before you know it, you realize that as you deny yourself, you're finding God and you're hearing God and he's empowering you. You know, I know there might be some of you here who can't fast. Maybe there's a few, but most of you here, you can. Sometimes Shelly gets worried about me and I'm like, you know what, I'll be okay. I got plenty of resources here, man. No, and the thing is, is that maybe you can't fast a meal. Maybe you can fast television, you know, for the rest of your life or something like that. You know, you can do something. (laughs) Just get DVDs. I don't know. Maybe you can fast your phone. I dare you to turn off your phone, man. (laughs) But you got to do it for the right reasons, right? You got to do it for the right reasons. I just want to draw near to you, God. I just want to seek you, and I need your power in my life. I need your power to help me. I need your power to help them. Jesus said, they'll fast when I leave. And he says in verse 36, he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. No one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Now, primarily what this speaks of is the new covenant. 
primarily what it speaks of is there was the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament. You had the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You had the shadows, now you have the substance. You had the blood of animals, now you have the blood of Christ, the blood of the Son of God. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were resisting that. They didn't like change. They didn't like anything new, even though this is what it was all about. They're resisting that. You know, and so Jesus is saying, man, you guys, it's like, you know, you can't mix the two. You're trying to keep the old and the new, and it's not going to work. You get this new piece of cloth, and you put it on an old pair of jeans to try to mend it up, and then you wash it, and it rips it up, and they're both made worse. And you get these old wineskins that have already been expanded, and you try to do it again, it's going to burst. You can't mix them. Out with the old and in with the new. It was a new covenant now. It was a covenant of grace. It was a covenant of the blood of God, the Son, mercy, compassion, Christ. But they were just resisting. You know, and for us here, I thank God, you know, we're open to the new covenant, but a lot of times we're not open to new things. And we become what? Old wineskins. The seven last words of a dying church. We never did it that way before. Right? Oh, I never do it that way. Oh, I don't do that. And you are an old wineskin. That's what ends up happening when you're not open to the Holy Spirit, when you're not open to what the Lord wants to do in your life. You know, when you look at this right here, what you see is God is trying to teach us, listen, if you don't change, I'm going to use somebody else. And so you need to change. You know, we see Jesus calling the tax collector. We see him reaching the sinner. That's Christ. Now the Christian needs to be fasting. And the Christian needs to be, I use the word newing. I don't know if that's right or not. Newing. you got to start newing, okay? Oh, if, you're, if you have a problem with that, we'll use the word renewing. I was talking to my son about this. He's all, Dad, you can't do that. You know, he's got his grammar rules and his spelling rules. And I said, I don't read that in the Bible. That's okay. I can do it. No. We have to be renewing. Lord, what's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? And we have to follow him, you guys. Why? Because he's doing a new work. He's always doing a new work. One thing about God, man, is he's not stale. He's fresh. He's always doing a new work. And that's why we have to be where God is. Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's a new thing. Psalm 51, 10 says, Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Isaiah 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It's so cool when we see what God does. You see, in looking at this right here, you guys, and seeing the way Jesus is, I'm just so blessed. You know, when I read about these wineskins right here, um, you know what I think about, man? I don't know about you, but I think about John chapter 2. Remember that the, what happened there? It was the first sign of Jesus. And what did he do? He turned water into wine. Remember that? He turned water into wine. And it was just so cool because remember the, the master of the wedding feast, he came out and he said, this is unheard of. Man, we've never seen it like this. Usually at a wedding celebration, he said, you know, they bring out the best wine in the beginning. And then afterwards, when anybody can't tell the difference, you know, they bring out the cheap wine, right? But you guys have done it the different way. You brought out 
good wine in the beginning, but you brought out the fabulous wine in the end. And you know what I see when I read that? I think, man, God, you're bringing out a new wine. It's going to get better. I look back on my life and I think, man, God has done some amazing things. But, man, I, I want the new wine. I want the new joy, not new truth. It's not new truth. It's the new work of what God's doing. It's the new joy. And Jesus said, listen, man, don't become old wineskins, okay? Don't do that. You know, we, find, we like ruts and routines, huh? We really do. We feel comfortable, man. And the lights are a certain way. It's kind of funny. The temperature's a certain way. Everything's a certain way. And if anything changes, man, everybody's freaking out, right? And God says, no, don't be that way, man. Be open to my Holy Spirit. I want to lead you. I want to give you new wine. I want to give you new joy. I want to give you new life. And so we learned in our study today some beautiful things. Jesus calling. Jesus reaching. Christians fasting. Christians renewing. Jesus is the great physician. Come to him for repairs. Come to him. Jesus is the bridegroom. Commit to him in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, if you think about it, and I know we didn't get a lot of time to spend on that, the bridegroom, the bridegroom, he's your husband. He's your husband. What do husbands do? Not the bad stuff, okay? What are husbands supposed to do? Two things. Love you and lead you. And that's what your bridegroom will do in your life if you will let him. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. The physician who repairs us, the bridegroom who restores us into this beautiful relationship, who loves us and leads us and even calls us to reach out to others and to seek you in fasting and prayer. Lord, there's no words to describe how the people that are here today are so infinitely valuable to you. I just can't even begin to describe it. I pray they would know that, Lord. And I pray that today, Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And I pray for those who do know you, that today would be a day, Lord, of just power and drawing near to you again, knowing there's always more of God. So, Lord, as we partake of communion now, I pray that you would stir our hearts to seek you. I pray help us to do that. I, I pray, Lord, we would even examine our own life, show us things, Lord, that need to change, that need to stop, that need to begin. But I pray even now as we partake of communion,